everyone. Welcome back. Hello, folks. Uh, welcome to, no, not the new year, not the new month. I was going to say, welcome to the new year. <laughs> Happy new year. Happy new year. Happy birthday. Sorry, I'm tired. Good afternoon. <laughs> Good afternoon, everyone. Um, so welcome back. Uh, how was your week? I'm talking to them, not you. Okay, that's what I was hoping. I'll give you a second to answer. Wow. No. Really? Wow, that's awesome. Or, wow, yeah, that sucks. <laughs> Delete as needed. Yeah. Whichever one is fits your situation, that's how I feel. Yeah. Okay. Good. Okay. Um, What's what new? What's um? Oh well, I, I should say. So you're talking to me. At, well, at the beginning of the episode, I should say that, out of solidarity with the good ship ever given, um, we have turned this episode of known unknowns, uh, sideways and got it immovably stuck in the series of tubes that constitute the internet. Um, and thus forcing all other uh, podcast traffic to use the old dial-up routes around the Cape of Good Hope. Um. <laughs> okay, okay. I was literally and just... And we'll be gonna... staying here until uh, all people can flow through the Suez Canal. Okay, cool. I don't know. I was just going to mention it. I'm like, that boat... Big boat got stuck. That big boat got stuck. That's all I really care to know about it <laughs> it yeah, got stuck honestly, and it's still I'm stuck like, okay it's stuck that's all i they better not get it fixed they better just stay there i really want it to i kind of like the chaos it's everyone's freaking out and i think it's really funny every time i see it i'm like lol a big boat got stuck <laughs> 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 and they have to use a bunch of tiny little tugboats to get it out and it's very funny yeah they're like we moved it 30 feet today and I'm like, wow, good, good for job, you. guys. You're doing amazing. <laughs> You're doing good work out there. Sorry, I'm trying to like adjust this microphone so it's in like at a comfortable <laughs> position. Um, well, anything else this week? Anything else happen? Uh, that's pretty much been the main thing I've I've been caring about this week. Um, There's been a lot of stuff any... going on though this week. Not good stuff, but I don't know. I don't know anything that's been going on this week, to be, to be honest. <laughs> I haven't been paying attention. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm honestly, sorry. I don't know. What's So what, what, what's up with you? What's up with me? What, yeah, what's your deal? I don't know. Okay. I, well, I have to go to work tomorrow, and I just don't really want to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> it's um, the Complain About Work show. Yeah, that's it's the portion of the show where we complain about our job. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it either. I don't want to go. Please don't make me. This has been the complain about work segment. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was me clapping. Well, do you want to? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what else to talk about. We don't I guess we could just get into else. it. Yeah, I think they're. I think the people are itching for that. I think if they do, we've got nothing to say. They don't want us to keep saying we got nothing to say. That's true. All right, I'm first this week. <laughs> So uh, I'm going to talk about my topic now. You're you're always first in my heart, Carly. Wow, that's really nice of you. Number one on the field, number one on our hearts, baby. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm talking about um, 
So just, I've done two really long episodes the past two weeks. So this one's going to be a little shorter, a lot less in depth. It's just, I'm going to say it's not as um, in depth as my other stories. It's Carly's turn to phone it in this week. Yeah, I've had a rough week, okay? Okay. It's called depression. (laughs) (laughs) It kicked in and I didn't want to do anything. So instead I went on a walk and I avoided work. And watched YouTube videos. <laughs> and then I came back and I copy and pasted from three sites. And then I'm like, there's my story. All right. But I, I'm going to, I'll tell you. So I'm talking about black helicopters this week. Do you know anything about black helicopters? I know they're out there. And yeah. they are, uh, they're, they're circling things. <laughs> they're around. That's, that's mostly what I know about black helicopters. Yeah. Well, I was going to do the big uh, big pharma conspiracies, like, you know, um, but then There's there was just so much the... to it. There was just There's a lot. so much. And I'm like, this is too much for my brain and I don't want to get into it because some of it's kind of serious. Like, I'm like, oh, this isn't as funny as I wanted it to be. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is a real thing they're doing to us. Well, some of them are crazy. You know, mm-hmm. like you can eat vegetables to cure cancer, right. stuff like that, because like they don't want to tell us that vegetables cure cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then some of it's like legit, and I'm like, uh, okay. Some of it <laughs> isn't. Some of it's just like I can kind of see where they're coming from here, and I, yeah. I didn't really want to get into it, so I yeah. was like, nah, I'm good. Oh man, you gotta look in. What's what's the family that like? Owns OxyContin. I forget their name. I don't know. They're 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 bad. Maybe you can talk about that topic <laughs> okay. then someday. Yeah. Anyway, There's this a is lot your, into it. This is your reminder to if you're eligible to get the uh, COVID nineteen vaccine, please do so and get the uh, Bill Gates chip implanted into your arm. We did. Well, we got one. Do you think it's in the first or the second shot? Um. I think the I think one? there's two. I think oh. there's the the first one kind of like uh, uh, breaks down your defenses and stuff. So then you are willing to get the second shot, Got which give, which puts the actual uh, mind control s- chip into you. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well. Well, I have the first one in me. Then. Yay! Mm-hmm. Yay! I get um, the second one the day after my birthday as a nice little birthday present to me. So go me! Happy birthday to me! Second shot. I'm going to be dying afterwards, but it's okay. Not of COVID. Not of COVID, though. Just side effects, which I'm fine with. I'd rather do that than getting COVID. Okay. <laughs> anyway, back to black helicopters, everyone. So... Were there, were there black helicopters over the COVID vaccination site? I wasn't looking. It was indoors. Probably. It was under It was under a tent, so you couldn't see them. Yeah. Um. So according to wikipedia.org... Slash wiki slash black underscore helicopter. The black helicopter is a symbol of an alleged conspiratorial military takeover of the United States and the American militia movement, and has also been associated with UFOs, especially in the UK, the men in black, and similar conspiracies. Mm-hmm. So, overview, according to Wikipedia. Okay. Uh, Stories of black helicopters first appeared in the 1970s and were linked to reports of cattle mutilation, Uh which we'll get to later. 
a little more about the cattle mutilation um because that right now it doesn't make a lot of it didn't make a lot of sense to me when I first read that I'm like okay black helicopters and cattle mutilation that doesn't mm-hmm. how what you'll we'll find out mm-hmm. it is possible that the idea originated in how Lindsay's book the late Great Planet Earth, published in 1970, Mm. and popular among conspiracy theorists, this book. Lindsay conjectured that the locust-like creatures referenced in the Book of Revelation in the New Testament were actually helicopters, Mm. which John had never seen and thus did not know how to describe. That kind of makes me laugh. I'm like, this is really funny. (laughs) Yeah. This whole, I want to do something a little funnier, and this is funny to me. Okay. Okay. Um, Jim Keith wrote two books on the subject. So if you look up Black Helicopters, you're going to find these two books. Um, One of them is Black Helicopters Over America, Strike Force for the New World Order. And that was in 1995. (laughs) And then he wrote another book called Black Helicopters 2, The End Game Strategy in 1998. Uh, media attention to black helicopters increased in February 1995 when first-term Republican Northern Idaho Representative Helen, do you know this, Chenoweth? That's what it looks like. Charged that armed federal agents were landing black helicopters on Idaho ranchers' property to enforce the Endangered Species Act. <laughs> Quote from Helen, I have never seen them, uh, but enough people in my district have become concerned that that I can't just ignore it. We do have some proof. Is the is the New World Order really that it is really that invested in the Endangered Species Act, or is it is the Endangered Species Act a cover for something else that they're doing? I don't know. I'm just curious what your thoughts are. I don't know. I'm not sure. Okay, believers in UFO conspiracy theories often claim unmarked black helicopters are seen in the vicinity of UFO sightings, the suspicious being that the helicopters belong to an alleged secretive government department who cover up evidence of alien visits and UFOs from the general public. Yeah, the, the men How in How do you the, feel about that? I mean... I the, like it. The men in black are going to ride in a black helicopter. It's only, it's only natural. Mm-hmm. The black helicopter's conjecture resonates well with the belief held by some in the militia movement that troops from the United Nations might invade the United States. The John Birch Society published an article in the New American dealing how the detailing how the existence of the covert aircraft was mostly the product of possible visual errors and a tendency towards overabundant caution. So this second part of my story is all from encyclopedia2.thefreedictionary.com slash black plus helicopters. <laughs> all right. Just want to let you know. <laughs> Since the 1980s, hundreds of men and women have reported being harassed and spied upon by mysterious unmarked black helicopters, which they believe to be the property of a, what's this word? Clandestine. 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 Of a clandestine national police force that will soon begin to wage incessant warfare against all Americans who oppose the secret government. Clandestine. That's a pretty name. That is a pretty name. (laughs) Clandestine Clandestine. Don't make fun of me. It's right. Okay, yeah. Many conspiracy theorists believe that individuals who are involved in the investigation of any suspected conspiracy or who are doing serious UFO research 
uh, are certain to be under surveillance by hovering black helicopters without any identifying markings and flying at unsafe or illegal altitudes. I believe in UFOs. Is that why I hear helicopters above me all the time? I think... Does this podcast get... We're being surveilled by... If you listen to this helicopter... If you listen to this podcast, you will know too much already. Do you think we're being spied on? I think most helicopters look black from a distance. So you're You're, saying this isn't real? You're underneath them. They're going to be in shadow. So it's going to look... Dark. Most of them look white to me. I'm not going to lie. I'm just saying that if people are being <laughs> spied on by helicopters, I, I'm not so sure that they're all black. Just Why aren't they light blue? Then it would blend into the sky. the sky. That would make a lot more sense. That, the same thing goes for like stealth fighter jets. Why aren't, aren't they, they light, light blue? blue? Why are or they like always white, like, like matte black and stuff? Yeah. I know matte black. But the sky is a glistening light blue. What? What's, matte black couldn't be more opposite. I agree. Okay. 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 Glad we got that taken care of. When the Federal Aviation Authority was asked by alarmed citizens groups to investigate black helicopter traffic over, over the United States, the FAA stated that it had no investigations on file. However, many individuals reported that the FAA did have agents in the field taking depositions from witnesses to the activity of black unmarked helicopters. The pilots who fly the mystery helicopters, as well as the black uniformed agents within the craft, the men in black, yep. um, are thought to be the minions of the secret government that has signed a document turning over control of our nation's military forces to greedy and power-hungry international bankers. Okay. The secret brotherhood of the Illuminati. And their various allies. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's what they believe, that this is I mean, like I a military to... that's going to take over the world. Yeah, or that already has taken over the world. Mm-hmm. In a few ground sightings, the occupants of the helicopters have been described as men wearing black uniforms and carrying automatic weapons. They must shy away if law enforcement officers try to approach, but there are also numerous accounts of aggressive behavior on the part of the helicopter crews. Like what? They according like to some consp- I don't know. Spin their gum out on you? Probably. Uh, according to some conspiracy researchers, the crew of the black helicopters are veterans of highly classified CIA projects. Of a highly classified CIA project, uh, which involved the training and indoctrination of selected multiple personality assassins. So these are dangerous people flying these helicopters. Mm-hmm. These agents were not only programmed to kill, but after repeated torture and hypnotic brainwashing sessions, they were given selective memories of new and fictitious lives. Such insidious and rep- reprehensible experiments in mind control were conducted by the CIA in the 1950s and 1960s under the code name MK Ultra, and the assassins produced the program. Uh, by okay, and the assassins produced by the program were considered a kind of secret weapon against the Soviet Union. Oh, man. I need there's to, a lot to this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I need I need to uh, I need to do an episode on the origin of like the Illuminati conspiracy theory because um, that's really that would interesting. get a lot of listens. That gets tied get in. a lot of views. Well, it's really interesting because it started off as like I don't want to spoil too much, but it started. We'll off do as, it like, for next week. Maybe I will. Or maybe I in will. a couple weeks. Start the research now. You'd be good at 
doing that because you always go in depth on stuff like that. I take Wikipedia articles and I read them. <laughs> so, yeah, you should do that. People would listen to that. People like that. Uh, let us know if you want to hear that episode. <laughs> okay. Comment on our next uh, post on Instagram and let us know if you want to hear it. Um, let's see. MK Ultra crews aboard the black helicopters are assigned to seek out those researchers and investigators who are becoming too much of an of an annoyance to the secret government. If these individuals do not desist in their investigations of the international conspiracy headed by the New World Order and the Illuminati, they will be abducted and undergo experiments in biochemical research, uh, psychosurgery, and electrical stimulation of the brain. After repeated torture and hypnotic brainwashing sessions, they will be given selective memories that may include intense recall of UFO sightings and abduction experiences, so, <laughs> causing them to be discredited by any civil authorities to whom they might later report their claims of having been abducted by agents of the secret government. That's good. Before <laughs> yeah, they let them they go. Do that, they're pretty smart, yeah. Yeah. You, they... you make them, you implant false ufo memories in them and then they'll sound crazy well i was gonna say that like if you're looking into ufo abductions it sounds like you're likely to be abducted by the black helicopter people and undergo pretty much the same treatment mm-hmm. yeah isn't that crazy yeah yeah do you think that's what happened to the guy who wrote the book fire in the sky no damn Okay. Many of the black helicopters patrol the area above underground bases constructed for use by government agencies in the event of nuclear war. Entities associated with such underground facilities include the Pentagon, CIA, Federal Emergency Management Agency, and National Security Agency. According to some informants, at least 96 underground centers have been secretly funded by the U.S. government. Hmm. All right. Yep. Okay, so my last section uh-huh. is from a website that will tell you all about, that is written by someone who believes in black helicopters. And it will tell you all you need to know about black helicopters, how they're made, and how to stay safe. I'm guessing how they're made involves a regular helicopter and then they paint it black. No. no? is That's made from special black? No, you'll see. All right. It gets good. This is my favorite part of the story. I will say, I believe that there are helicopters Uh that are black out there. Yeah. There are black helicopters. Well, I was reading an article and it said, Obama uh, said black helicopters exist. And he's like, yeah, we have black helicopters. (laughs) We fly them. They're black. I mean, yeah, I'm sure that there are. I, I mean, like the conspiracy yeah, I know. theory I know. black helicopters, I know. you I know? know. So this came from a website, which I highly suggest you give it a, lo- uh, a little look-see. Um, it is a black background with all red type. Um, so how it's you, really legit. Trust it, yeah. I mean, I believe this man. It's called, uh, how do you use Zapatopi? dot net sure. slash black helicopters yeah. it's z-a-p-a-t-o-p-i dot net slash black helicopters i always say the the less legible a website is the more you know you can trust it that's what i'm saying okay so i'm just gonna read from this website okay All right. so what are black helicopters Black helicopters or bh are not just helicopters with a black paint job as you may have been told 
That's oh, literally what you just that's said. That's what I said. Mm-hmm. They are, in fact, autonomous agents, life forms created by New World Order, or NWO, <laughs> agencies via nanobiotechnology. Their primary purpose is to spy on the activities of average citizens in order to gather tactical information and discover subverse, subversives who are not bowing to the will of the, how do you say this, Liber, liberatis? Yeah. Liberatis UN-backed federal government. Furthermore, when the New World Order invasion takes place in the not-too-distant future, they will round up citizens for internment in concentration camps or carry out the elimination of the more vocally anti-liberati. I think, okay, (laughs) I think that clearly if they have black helicopters going around and stuff, I, I mean, just looking at the world we live in, clearly the NWO has already won. Yeah. I don't. I, I, the, now that's the first. That's the first strike against this. They've already won. You're, okay. What are you talking about in an invasion? They don't. <laughs> okay. Okay. So if you visit the site, you'll find a nice um, chart of how these helicopters are made. I, I would. I'd suggest giving it a little look see, but I will explain it here. Okay. Now just stick with me. All right. So how are they made? Black helicopters have a complex reproductive cycle with different phases. Remember uh, cattle mutilation? This is where it comes in. Oh. They start out as seed crystals that are injected into a biological host organism, typically cattle, but occasionally humans. Whoa. So they're born. They, they from, inject them into a cow. And then they grow. Or a human, and they grow. Yeah. But... <laughs> <laughs> By either human technicians or other black helicopters. That's best idea for a a gender reveal party. (laughs) Cut it to the cake. Oh, my God. It's a helicopter. It's a helicopter. Get get like a cow-shaped cake and then cut into it, and it's like a little helicopter on the inside. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay, okay, okay. It has also been theorized that that seed crystals have been sprayed from military and possibly civil aircraft in the form of so-called chemtrails. Remember when we talked about that? All of them. Uh, Which then enter the body of a possible civil aircraft in the form of... Oh, wait, wait, wait. Which then enter the body of a host via food and or water supply or direct dermal contact. The inoculated seed crystals uses nanobiotechnology, which incorporates nanoscale self-manufacturing robotics with biological control systems created using genetic engineering to grow with material synthesized from the host's organs. After being injected into the head of a cattle, typically the seed crystal enters the bloodstream where it travels to the intestines. Along with along the way, gathering various needed compounds from different systems. Once there, it quickly develops into a microscopic black helicopter, or an MBH. Okay. So, I, yeah, yeah. These small and simplified versions of black helicopters will either stay in the host and continue growing to maturity, or they will sometimes eg- exit the body at this stage. <laughs> Usually burrowing through the skin. I'm just picturing a helicopter (laughs) ripping out of a cow. (laughs) That's why it's cattle mutilation. Yeah, I know. That's why there's someone, they're 
they're actually saying these cattle mutilations, they exploded at night because of giant helicopter uh, grew in its stomach. And then from what it sounds like, a baby helicopter grew in it. Yeah. Well, no, if they grow to full size at night, they'll... Okay, we'll get to it. Oh, wait, okay. There's mini... There's microscopic black helicopters and full-grown black helicopters. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Microscopic black helicopters that grow to maturity in their hosts... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> will later go on to become the full-size black helicopters that most people report seeing. After a few weeks, the microscopic black helicopter grows large enough, about 20 to 30 centimeters in length, that it bursts forth from the guts of its hosts. This artificial live birth leaves the host organism dead and is the source of most cattle mutilations. Bursting is usually timed so that it, that it occurs at night, providing cover of darkness. After the burst, the new uh, black helicopter takes a few minutes for its props to unfold and harden before flying off. Once old enough to burst from its host, it has the ability to gather further minerals and proteins from the environment, allowing it to grow to full mature size, up to 18 meters long. So it does grow after it bursts. So either it just goes out through the skin as a microscopic one and it's going to stay microscopic, or uh, it'll come out like bigger and then it'll continue to grow as it comes out of the body. (laughs) So cows birth black helicopters and that is the source of all cattle mutilation most cattle mutilation is black helicopters exploding from its intestines boy i don't know what to say yeah isn't this good yeah i love it okay so according to this website this there's good news how to stay safe from black helicopters Gonna get find them when they're young. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So avoidance of black helicopters in all their forms is the best defense against infection surveillance, internment, enslavement, brain erasure, or death. So avoidance is the best. Abstinence is the best to stay, to not come into contact with infection, surveillance, internment, enslavement, brain erasure, or death. Unfortunately, it is not always possible to stay out of their way, especially if they are targeting you for harassment. And thus, it is important for paranoids to learn more... To learn to protect themselves. First and foremost, black helicopters are vital for defense against... Okay, no. Black... (laughs) Wait, wait, let me... (laughs) I said this wrong. First and foremost, black helicopter swatters are vital for defense against EMBHs and JBHs, similar to the common fly swatter. They can be used to fend off aerial attacks, disperse swarms, or dispatch resting black helicopters if you catch them unawares. <laughs> okay. I'm However, make sure you aim, make sure your aim is true. Other, otherwise, you will only anger them. <laughs> I'm starting to suspect this is not in earnest. This website. Oh, no, it is. Okay. If hitting the little pests proves difficult, sticky strips of paper baited with bits of meat, plastic, and metal, all substances necessary for black helicopter development, can ensnare their tiny wheels long enough for disposal. (laughs) 
<laughs> when black helicopters become mature enough that swatters are no longer a viable option, it is best to flee and hope you can lose them. Larger black helicopters will be unable to follow you into night spaces, tight spaces without damaging their props. Use this knowledge to your tactical advantage. Note to AFDB users. As mentioned above, JBHs will attack anyone wearing an AFDB if discovered. The best defense against this is to allow camouflage is to always camouflage your beanie while traveling through outdoor areas where JBHs might be hiding, such as forests, junkyards, farms, and the like. So always camouflage the beanie you wear. What's an AFDB? Uh, I don't know. Okay. AFDB. So something... something in a beanie. Yeah, a type of beanie. Yeah. I, a a tinfoil hat it, that's disguised as a beanie? I guess so. If you accidentally stumble upon a JBH, freeze and pretend to enter a hypnotic state until it leaves, thereby tricking it into thinking it has erased your memory. Another threat to the beanied comes from EMBHs, which may attack AFDBs in mass using their spinning blades to slowly chip away at the outer surface, creating micro-fissures that can result in psychotronic seepage. Or, in extreme causes, catastrophic beanie failure. I hate psychotronic seepage. (laughs) I hate catastrophic beanie failure. (laughs) Yeah, that sucks too. (laughs) If you think your AFDB is under attack by EMBH swarms, quickly coat the beanie surface with rubber cement, molasses, or similar viscous substance to neutralize their rotors. (laughs) All right. So just dump molasses on your beanie. (laughs) Yep. That's all I got. You heard it here first. (laughs) Uh, I highly suggest reading through that website. That was only a portion of it. So uh, only a very small portion. It sounds very helpful and informative. Yeah. So I hope that helps you all. Mm -hmm. Well, that's all I got. 30 minutes worth of stuff. That was good. I'm going to grab my... All right. He's grabbing his computer, everyone. He's got a... He's going to tell us a good story. His is longer this week. So... So what do you have for me? Okay, so today I'm going to talk about um, uh, the Mary Celeste. Uh, That's I, a know, boat. Yeah, I was thinking about boats this week, um, and so I, yeah, naturally. I, th- uh, I thought about uh, I thought about ghost ships, mm-hmm, ghost mm-hmm. boats, since that's sort of yeah. what this podcast is about. Sometimes, yeah. And uh, I, I I came up with this one. Cool. All right. So. Let's be, let's let us begin. Yeah. The Bay of Fundy, between Canada, between the Canadian provinces of New Brunswick and Nova Scotia, is most known. It is most known uh-huh. <laughs> for hosting the world's largest tidal range. Twice a day, as the ocean cycles from low tide to high and back, one hundred and ten billion tons of water rush in and out of the bay twice as much as the combined flow of all the world's rivers combined over the same time period. The average tidal range worldwide is about 3 feet, whereas the average range in the Bay of Fundy is 52 feet. At low tide, in some places, mudflats stretch uh, more than 2 kilometers from the shore. According to the indigenous Mi'kmaq people's legends, the tides there were created when the creator Glooskap wanted to take a bath. Um, or 
uh, it was created by the powerful rocking of Paul Bunyan's cradle. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, the massive, the massive tidal swings also create an ideal ecosystem for hundreds of species of fish, crustacean, birds, reptiles, cetaceans, and seals. Um, the constant powerful turning of the tides brings plentiful food and nutrients up from the seafloor, which bring 12 different species of whale to feed on krill, herring, and small squids. It's a major feeding area for the second largest whale species, the finback whale, and it's the main breeding ground for the smallest cetaceans, harbor porpoises. Porpoises. But not only are porpoises born here, uh, but so was the subject of our story. Oh. In addition to nearby whaling, there was abundant timber on the land near the bay, mm-hmm. and the vast tidal range made it easy to launch large ships. So it's no wonder that during the latter years of the Age of Sail, coastal towns like Spencer's Island around the Bay of Fundy became major shipbuilding centers. The first large ship to come out of the Spencer's Island shipyards was the Amazon, launched in May 1861. Uh, She was a cargo ship um, with two masts, 99.3 feet in length and 25.5 feet wide. From her maiden voyage, she faced difficulties. Uh, she was to carry timber from Five Islands, Nova Scotia, to London, but after su- but after supervising the loading of cargo, her captain, Robert McClellan, fell ill. Uh-oh. His condition worsened, and the ship had to turn back to Spencer's Island, where Captain McClellan died. Hmm. Upon restarting the journey with a replacement captain, the ship encountered more troubles. She collided with fishing equipment off the coast of Maine, and then on the return trip from London ran into another ship and caused it to sink in the English Channel. Uh, The next several years were quiet as the Amazon ran trade between the West Indies, England, and the Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. Until October 1867, when she was driven ashore on an island near Nova Scotia, and her owners abandoned her as a wreck. She only remained there a few days, though, before being acquired by Alexander McBean. McBean! Uh, McBean! Wait, so this is, what's the boat's name? Well, right, uh, right now its name is the Amazon. Am- the Amazon, okay, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Uh, McBean soon sold her off. <laughs> McBean. Um, McBean, I know, I just included, I didn't have to include his name. He's not important, but I just Yeah, but it. I think it's funny, so Yeah, I'm I know, I, you... I did that for you. Thank you. I love beans. <laughs> what? <laughs> Over the next few years, she passed between a succession of owners who fixed her up, improved and expanded her, and gave her the name uh, people know her by today, Mary Celeste. Mary Celeste. Mm -hmm. I've definitely heard this story. Maybe not as in-depth, but I've heard this story. Yeah, probably not as in-depth. Yeah. Um, In 1872, or maybe just as in-depth, I don't know. In 1872, she was given a new captain, Benjamin Spooner Briggs. Mm Mm-hmm. Benjamin Briggs was born in Massachusetts in 1835, one of five sons of a sea captain, Nathan Briggs. Uh, Briggs had three loves in his life, the sea, the Bible, and his family. Oh, okay. Yeah, no. Okay. I was like, what? When he married his wife, Sarah Elizabeth Cobb, they took a honeymoon in the Mediterranean aboard his schooner, Forest King. They had two children together, son Arthur in 1865 and daughter Sophia in 1870. Never mind, I'm just going to let you keep going. I, I was going to ask if this is... Just keep going. Okay. If it happens, if what I'm thinking happens, happens, then I'll know I'm right. Okay. And I'll be honest about it. Much as Benjamin loved the sea, though, by the time his daughter was born, he began to tire of the long stretches of time spent away from his wife and children. His brother Oliver, also a seaman, 
felt similarly, and they discussed going into business together. In the end, though, they each bought it. They each bought a share in a ship independently. Oliver investing in Julia A. Halleck and Benjamin purchasing four twelfths of Mary Celeste. In October 1872, Benjamin Briggs took a took command of the ship for her first voyage after being extensively refitted in New York. Hmm. The voyage was to take Mary Celeste and a cargo of 1,701 barrels of denatured alcohol to Genoa, Italy. I think I know what happens here. Okay. Uh, Alright. Okay. I'm, okay. Yeah. Okay. Continue. <clears throat> I don't want to spoil it if that's really what happens. Alright. Briggs chose his crew for the journey carefully. Uh, his first mate was Albert G. Richardson, who had sailed under Briggs before and was mm -hmm. married to a niece of James H. Winchester, who was another part owner of the ship. Uh, second mate, Andrew Gilling, was an experienced seaman of 25, born in New York to Danish parents. Steward Edwin Edward William Head had recently married and was personally recommended by Winchester. There were also four general seamen, all Germans from the Frisian Islands. Arian Martins, Gottlieb Gudschall, and brothers Volkert and Baz Lorenzen, all of whom were described in later testimonials as, quote, peaceable and first-class sailors. Mm -hmm. So they had good seamen, good yeah. sailors on board, right? Yeah, they all had yeah. good seamen. And they were transporting a bunch of barrels of, like, alcohol, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. Industrial I definitely alcohol. know where this story is going. <laughs> okay. I do. That, uh, yeah, I recognize this part. Okay, right. continue. In a letter to his mother, Briggs declared himself em eminently satisfied with the crew. He also arranged for his wife and two-year-old daughter to accompany him. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. I knew kids were coming. While their school-aged son remained at home in the care of his grandmother. For the best. <laughs> what? Nothing. On October 20th, 1872, Briggs arrived at Pier 50 on the East River in New York to supervise the loading of the alcohol. Uh-huh. His wife and daughter joined him a week later. In another letter to his mother, written Sunday, November 3rd, Briggs said that, quote, Our vessel is in beautiful trim, and I hope we shall have a fine passage, and that he intended to depart that Tuesday. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. Tuesday morning, Mary Celeste left Pier 50 and moved into New York Harbor. But the weather was uncertain, and Briggs decided to wait for better conditions, so they anchored off Staten Island and waited. Good. Two days later, on November 7th, the Mary Celeste and the ten souls aboard her set sail across the Atlantic Ocean. Okay. All right. Yeah. According to investigators, the journey was mostly uneventful. There was some stormy weather along the way, but in two weeks' time, they reached the Azores. Mm -hmm. On November 24th, Captain Briggs adjusted his course to head north of Santa Maria Island. That night, the seas were rough, but the crew made it through, and the next morning, at 8 a.m., Captain Briggs recorded their position a few miles off of Santa Maria Island. That would be the last entry in the logbook, yeah. and the last anyone ever heard from those aboard. Yeah. Something was weird with the logbook, right? Uh, maybe. Okay. So uh, they just, yeah, okay, okay. Never, uh, uh, yeah, I this is exactly what, they disappear. Yeah. Everyone on the, on ship disappears, right? Who knows? <laughs> okay, continue. Okay. While Mary Celeste was in, Har it was in New York Harbor, a Canadian brigantine, the Dei Gratia, was in port nearby in Hoboken, New Jersey, awaiting a cargo of petroleum also bound for Genoa. Dei Gratia was captained by David Morehouse with first mate Oliver DeVoe, 
both of Nova Scotia and both well-experienced and respected seamen. Mm -hmm. Captains Morehouse and Briggs were of about the same age and shared common interests. Uh, so many writers on the topic uh, suggest that they likely knew each other, if, even if only casually. Mm -hmm. Fifty years after the incident, Morehouse's white widow recollected that the two captains dined with each other the night before Mary Celeste's departure. Interesting. On November 15th, Dei Gratia set sail following the same general route Mary Celeste's crew had taken eight, eight days earlier. On Wednesday, December 4th, 1872, at 1 o'clock p.m., the Dei Gratia's helmsman reported a vessel about six miles distant, heading their way in an unsteady pattern. Yeah. As it came closer, Morehouse attempted to signal the other ship, but got no response. Mm -hmm. Nobody was visible on deck, and her, rigging was in and her rigging was in disarray. So they're seeing the Mary Celeste, right? Morehouse sent his first mate, DeVoe, and second mate, John Wright, out in one of the ship's boats to investigate. They saw from the name on the stern that it was the Mary Celeste. Yeah. And I when knew they it. went aboard, they found it totally deserted. Yeah, there's no one on the ship. Yeah. That's crazy. They're gone. Yeah, everyone well, where'd just... Where'd they go? I don't know. I don't know, because isn't it... We, nothing was, like, stolen off the ship, right? Just the people were gone. That's what I Pretty remember. Much, yeah. Like, nothing was really taken. Mm hmm So, okay, continue. So, yeah. There's lots of... I have lots of thoughts, but we're not there yet, so... Anyway. <laughs> how weird it is. Uh, uh, let's see here. The sails were partly set and in a poor condition, some missing altogether, and much of the rigging was damaged, with ropes hanging loosely over the sides. The main hatch cover was secure, but the fore and lazarette hatches were open, their covers beside them on the deck. The ship's single lifeboat was a small yawl that had apparently been stowed across the main hatch, but it was missing, uh, while the binnacle housing the ship's compass had shifted from its place and its glass cover was broken. There was about three and a half, uh, three and a half feet of water in the hold, a significant but not alarming amount for a ship of this size. A makeshift sounding rod, a device for measuring the amount of water in the hold, was found abandoned on the deck. Um, they found the ship's daily log lying open in the mate's cabin, showing its last location recorded nine, day, nine days ago, uh, around 400 nautical miles, or 460 regular miles, mm -hmm. from where the day Gratia encountered her. Uh, the cabin interiors were mostly in good order, apart from some water that had come through the doorways and skylights. Personal items were scattered around Briggs's cabin, uh, including a sheathed including a sheathed sword under his bed, but most of the ship's papers were missing, mm -hmm. along with the captain's navigational instruments. Weird. Okay. There were ample provisions in the galley, and no sign of fire or violence. Yeah, that's okay. Mm-hmm. So, like, when you think maybe pirates, it's like, okay, but why didn't they... Yeah, there's, there's no... There's no violence, there's no... They didn't steal and stuff on the ship. Yeah, everyone's, like, personal effects were... Where they would have left and them, and they didn't take the steal cargo. steal the stuff, right? Yeah, they don't just attack a ship to just... kill the people. And they usually, there's, they usually just kill the people and take the stuff. Mm -hmm. So the fact that there's no struggle, obvious, and there's nothing missing, it's like, where the heck did they go? Right. Okay, continue. Anyway, so yeah, DeVoe and Wright uh, reported their findings to Captain Morehouse, who decided to bring the wreck with them to into Gibraltar. Mm -hmm. Uh, where they could expect to be awarded a portion of the combined ship and cargo's value for sh for salvaging it. 
Uh, he split his crew of eight between the two ships, sending DeVoe and two accomplished seamen on the Mary Celeste, while he and four others stayed on the Dei Gratia. It was slow and difficult going for the two undercrewed ships, but Dei Gratia finally arrived in Gibraltar on December 12th, and Mary Celeste arrived early the next morning, having encountered fog on the way. Okay, I'm going to start okay. talking about some of the theories of what happened okay, cool. to the crew. Yeah. yeah, I think the theories are cool. Yeah, they are. Okay, okay. So, upon arrival in Gibraltar, uh, she was immediately impounded and the salvaging court hearings began on December 17th. The hearings were conducted by Frederick Solly Flood, Attorney General of Gibraltar, who one historian described as a man, quote, whose arrogance and pomposity were inversely proportional to his IQ. <laughs> and the sort of man who, once he has, had made up his mind about something, couldn't be shifted. Sounds so great. The, the kind of guy you want investigating. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. Uh, he decided right from the beginning that some sort of crime had been committed. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Flood's first hypothesis was that the German crew had got into the alcohol and in a drunken frenzy murdered the Briggs family and officers and escaped in the yawl. I remember to some this theory. Faint. But only not all the alcohol was, there, not a lot of it was missing, right? No, it was all found in good condition and like there wasn't anything missing. Yeah. Also, uh... Yeah, it was denatured alcohol, which the whole point of denatured alcohol is can't that you, you can't drink, drink that. It. Yeah, no, it's got additives in it to make it so that it's poisonous or you it's very, very <laughs> unpleasant or it yeah, makes you, you real sick. Yeah, you can't drink it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that theory is stupid. I remember that one. They thought the crew people got mm -hmm. all drunk, right? And then killed people. Uh, yeah. Um, he does cite some evidence to support the idea of a struggle. Um, an inspection okay. of the ship found stains on one of the ship's rails, which could have been blood, and a deep mark, possibly caused by an axe. Okay. Uh, they found they found possible traces of blood on the captain's sword. Hmm. Um, there was no evidence on the hull of the ship having run aground or being in a collision. Yeah. Um, the inspector said that it didn't seem to have been struck by he heavy weather either, no. citing a vial of sewing machine fluid that was still in its place. Mm -hmm. uh, there were cuts on each side of the bow of the ship, uh, which looked to have been caused by a sharp instrument. And in Flood's theory, the murderers had made the cuts intentionally to make it look like the ship was involved in a collision. Uh. Um, Okay. Okay. He also had another theory that James Winchester, uh, the guy who owned the other half of the boat, uh -huh. uh, had engaged the crew to murder had engaged the crew to murder Briggs as part of some conspiracy. So he could take control of the boat, right? I well, guess he could so. have the boat for himself. The thing I read didn't go in depth into what the conspiracy was. Oh, well, okay. So when it was Winchester owned six twelfths of the boat. Uh, Briggs owned four twelfths, and then there were two others who owned one twelfth okay. each. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, maybe he wanted a know. full. Yeah, maybe he, he wanted, wanted ten more twelfths of, the boat. of it. <laughs> um, or he thought the crew of Dei Gratia of the Dei Gratia was hiding something, as he didn't believe that Mary Celeste could travel so far unmanned. Okay. Because it did drift over nine days, like for nine days. For nine days, like four hundred miles. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Okay. Um. Let's see here. Unfortunately for Flood's theory, scientific analysis of the stains on the rail and the sword um, that they thought were blood turned out not to be blood. Yeah. 
Um, a report by Captain Schufelt of the U.S. Navy contradicted the other reports as he said that the marks on the bow were not man-made, but came from the natural action of the sea on the ship's timbers. So. Okay. Yeah. I mean, some, so they had like two different reports saying that those look like someone did that on, on purpose to like cut into the hull of the ship or the, 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 the bow and another report that said, nah. That's not, that's just normal. Okay. Being able to find no other evidence of, to support wrongdoing, Flood released the Mary Celeste to finish its journey. The crew of the Day Gratia was awarded uh, 1,700 pounds for their trouble, about one-fifth of the value of the ship and cargo. Hmm. Um, uh, 1,700 pounds in 1872, because I know you want to know, Yeah, is uh, $266,902.24 in United States dollars in 2021. Okay, cool. Um, but that amount... Uh, was far lower than what was generally expected. Some saying it should have been two or three times that amount. Yeah, that makes sense. Of course, that doesn't answer what actually happened. No. To Mary Celeste. It's so creepy. It's so mysterious. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're going to get Today, that, historians right? and scientists are still trying to piece together just what caused the crew to vanish. Yeah. Sorry, I'm itching my nose. <laughs> Another theory that Flood and some newspapers entertained at the time was insurance fraud on the part of Winchester, yeah. saying that the ship was greatly overinsured. Hmm. Uh, Winchester, though, was able to refute these claims, and there was no inquiry, and no inquiry was made by the insurance company that issued the policies. So, yeah, the insurance policy didn't think it was insurance fraud. Yeah, and so it, I don't think it was. And they were the ones who would have investigated that. Yeah. Uh. Another theory, dating to a 1931 article in the Quarterly Review, is that Captain Morehouse had lain in wait for the Mary Celeste, and then lured her crew aboard the Dei Gratia and murdered them there in order to claim the salvage reward. Huh. Okay. Okay. Eh. Um... Part of the reason the rule, part of the reason the reward was so little, is that the Gibraltar courts were unhappy with Morehouse for sending the Dei Gratia on to Genoa um, without him before the hearings were over. So he sent like the rest of his crew off with their boat um, early, earlier than the Gibraltar courts wanted, so they could finish mm. their trip while they were investigating the stuff. So then they couldn't investigate the murder scene. I, I guess right? in theory, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, what this theory ignores, though, is that Mary Celeste was the faster ship between the two, and it had left New York uh, eight days earlier than the Dei Gratia. So it would have been, they would have really had to be lacking to fall behind. Yeah, yeah. So. I know, uh, yeah. There's some interesting theories, I know. Mm -hmm. there, isn't there something off about the logbook? Um, well, or are we going to get to so that eight, at all? So, I don't... <sighs> I don't think there was anything specific. Maybe I'm thinking about well, a different so the kind log of story. Book was apparently lost in 1885, um, but and so, but before that they had like transcribed like the last five days worth of notes, and so okay. um, before then. But I guess and I guess summarized up to then, just it was pretty uneventful. Um, I know my favorite theory of this is like, well. Uh, okay. Whenever you, you start to say it, tell me if I it, don't miss it or if I don't. I'm have sure it. you'll. Yeah. I'm sure you'll get into it because okay. it's really interesting. You're, yeah. Okay. I, I want to hear it. Um, 
in case I don't say it. Mm -hmm. Since Briggs and Morehouse may have been friends, some think they may have had a plan together to split the salvage money. Mm. Briggs had been thinking of retiring from the sea, and he had brought his family with him. Um, so maybe he and his crew split the money and disappeared. Hmm. Uh, the problem I is... I, yeah, I don't buy it. What's the problem? Well, he he he, he left his son behind, if, they, yeah. if that's what he was doing. Right? I'm like, he didn't... Like, he left one son behind. That's mm -hmm. weird. Yeah, he brought his wife and his daughter, and then he left his son with and his mother. And at that mother. time, wouldn't you want the son? You don't want the daughter. Just saying. Yeah. But... I just feel like he liked his job so much. Why would he do this? Like, that seems cruel. Yeah. To, like, disappear and take the money. Like, especially if you like a job. If you're mm -hmm. invested in the job. If you like the sea. If you like the work. Yeah. Why I mean, Why would you do that? It, I just don't buy that it's some sort of fraud. Yeah. I mean, the sea was in his... His, his father was a sea captain. His brother was a sea captain. Two of I feel the, like that would be a disgrace if anyone found sailors. out. Yeah. And, so I, I mean, just don't buy it. The other issue is that like this was a very sensationalized and very a very attention grabbingly mysterious like yeah. way to disappear. I mean it is. Yeah. So like if you're gonna like I mean you think maybe it would have like, I mean it's faked, possible, like, but I don't, know. I don't it made it I like more convincing it. that something happened, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, some say pirates, uh, which were known to be active in the area, had attacked the ship, but we already covered this. They didn't, like, take anything valuable. Yeah, if the they, pirates theory doesn't make I any guess, sense. I guess if they were pirates... And, and they just they wanted just slaves? Wanted, yeah, that's what I was going to say. And that's the only reason I could see. But, I mean, even in that case, you're on the boat. You might as well take some stuff. Or just take control of the boat. But they usually yeah. just take the stuff. Sometimes they take control of the boat. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't you take the stuff? I... Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. no, yeah. it said that like the reports say that like the, the, all the crew's va personal items, some of them like quite valuable, were left undisturbed. Yeah, see, that just doesn't make any like, sense they, to they, me. They, they just took the captain and his navigation instruments and stuff and paperwork, which maybe the captain himself took the navigation and the paperwork. Right. Are we getting into that? Um, no. Okay. In. 1925, historian John Gilbert Lockhart surmised that Briggs slaughtered all on board and then killed himself in a fit of religious mania. There is no evidence of that. <laughs> There's no blood. Lock so he killed them, cleaned up the entire crime scene, and then killed himself and somehow disposed of his own dead body. I guess jumped into the sea? Yeah, I guess so. Well, Lockhart later spoke to Briggs' descendants, and he apologized and withdrew this this theory in yeah, a later edition of his book. That's, yeah, not cool. That's not even... He's like, maybe this guy was just, he was a religious freak, and he killed them all because he was a religious freak. And then his, the family got mad at him. He's like, okay, sorry. Yeah, never mind. that's good. <laughs> I would be mad, too. I'd be like, uh, no, sir, there's no evidence of that, so please don't say that about my family. Yeah. No. Okay. Um, Chambers' journal of September 17th, 1904, suggests that the entire com complement of Mary Celeste was plucked off one by one by a giant octopus or squid. Yeah, I like this like theory too, yeah. Uh -huh. Apparently giant squid, which can grow up to 50 feet in length, have been known to attack ships on rare occasions. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I buy it, but I like but, the idea. Yeah, I mean, I would say... You know, maybe more they damage, can I think. take like one or two of the crew, but <gasps> I think it's unlikely that they 
be able to like untie the lifeboat and reach into the captain's chambers and take all of yeah no i'm trying i was trying to think of a way in which that could be plausible where like maybe it took like one or two of them and then uh other maybe everyone was on deck and it like just kind of pushed on the boat and tipped it and they all just like slid off and the captain just at the time had all the like papers and his navigation instruments out they're all out there together they were all out he's like (laughs) let me just take them slid off and then it was (laughs) it sailed away that's it okay (laughs) okay yeah um what 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 do i have here so most of the theories, which are deemed most plausible, uh, tend to involve the captain and crew boarding the yawl and abandoning and abandoning the ship intentionally. Yeah, that's what that this is the theory I like because okay. that's why I'm like he would probably take the navigation tools with him, if anything, mm-hmm. if they abandoned the ship themselves. He would go get the paperwork and the and the navigation tools mm-hmm. to, to then like, abandon yeah, the ship this is, immediately because then I come you can from, help and then i can get it'll us help to you land. get us to la- get them to land and then also like this is where we came from this is the proof i have mm-hmm. of that yeah and at the time that you know their last they were like 2 miles off the coast of this island when they according to like the gps coordinates of where they were i like this theory cuz it's the most plausible so, like, to they me could it seems like they could have plausibly been planning to like row to land from there Mm-hmm. But there, there are a few different theories as to why they abandoned the ship. Yeah, okay. There's one specific one that I like, but let's go. Okay. Um, so Oliver Cobb, uh, Briggs's grandson, or Briggs's cousin, uh, suggested that transferring personnel into the yawl was a temporary precaution until some danger on the ship had passed. Uh, he speculated from DeVoe's report that the ship's main halyard, uh, the main hmm. big rope on the ship, had been attached to the yawl to tether it to the Mary Celeste. Um, however, some commentators have noted it would be illogical to attach yourself to a ship that you thought was about to sink or explode. Yeah, I don't <laughs> like this theory very much. Um, and Briggs, as an experienced captain, would have known that they'd have a much better bet for survival in the on the open sea on a damaged ship rather than on a small rowboat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, one explanation for hastily abandoning the ship is a water spout causing a false sounding. Um, mm, yeah, but I think this is the one I so, like. Yeah, yeah so a, mm-hmm. a severe water spout before abandonment uh, could explain how the wa- all that water got in the hold yeah. from the storm and uh, the water spout. Um, and the low barometric pressure that it caused mm-hmm. could have sucked more water up into the pumps, making it appear to the crew that the ship had taken on a great deal more water than it actually had yeah, in a so very short period. Of this time. is the one I like. So the, the captain, the guy, I mean, he's very experienced, but this is an easy mistake. He thought there was a lot more water. So they're like, he quickly had to like abandon like, ship. Yeah. We took on like f- five feet, 12 feet of water and like a, t- uh, 30 seconds and mm-hmm. i was like we gotta get out of here yeah and some people are like he was too experienced to do that to ever make that mistake and i'm like i think it's an easy mistake to make yeah it's possible especially if you have to act quickly because uh-huh. you might sink you know what i'm saying yeah. so i think that's that's plausible mm-hmm. i like this theory a lot okay yeah but- so that's that's one of the main ones mm-hmm. um Another possibility is that the Mary Celeste began drifting toward the Dolabar, Dolabarat uh, Reef off Santa Maria Island while she was becalmed. There was like no wind blowing and then 
Like they couldn't control where it was going, and oh. then it just started drifting toward this reef. Oh. Um. Mm. So Briggs may have feared the ship would run aground and launched the yawl in hope of reaching land. Yeah, I think the best theory is just something happened, something, and he miscalculated something. And mm-hmm. then he told everyone to get off the ship, and then they died, probably. Right. They probably didn't make it to any kind of land. Mm-hmm. And he probably mis Whatever it was, it was obviously like a miscalculation. Like, nothing actually happened to the boat, but he thought something was going to happen to the boat where it would be safer to just abandon the ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and he's probably being... I mean, he'd had his wife on a ship with him before, but maybe because it was his wife and his daughter, cautious. he was being extra cautious, probably. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. I mean, so this one, yeah, the, then they got off the boat because they thought it was going to run into a reef. Then the wind picked up, blowing the ship away from the reef, and the rising sea swamped the yawl. Yeah. Um. Though if this were the case and the ship were becalmed, all sails would have been set to catch any wind that they could but when the day gratia found her many of mary celeste's sails were still for were, were furled yeah see that's why i like the false alarm of the water mm-hmm. that's my favorite theory because it just makes the most sense to me okay i don't know yeah maybe you'll no, that does. say another one that i, I like but this next one also makes some sense okay um, maybe well. i am thinking of another one there's a lot of theories along with them voluntarily leaving the ship, and that's what I buy. So, mm-hmm. can, sorry, keep going. So, uh, it's possible that an earthquake on the seafloor, a.k.a. a seaquake, a seaquake, may have shaken the ship enough to slightly damage some of the cargo and uh-huh. release noxious alcohol fumes. Uh-huh. Uh, the displaced hatches may indicate an attempted inspection or airing out of the cargo hold. <laughs> Uh, you know, rumblings from down below deck and then the smell of alcohol fumes may have signaled to the crew that an explosion was imminent. Yeah. And they abandoned ship only for it not to explode and slowly float away. So another one, false alarm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I-, I believe some false alarm happened because mm-hmm. nothing happened to the ship. <laughs> yeah. Although that's that that one that one's pretty good too. I mean, it also may not have actually. There may actually have been an explosion on the ship. Um, because huh. I mean, so one of the things that people say to really? discredit is that you know there it was found and there was you know no like charring or like no evidence of an fire or explosion. Mm-hmm. Um, but when some people in like two thousand six, sorry, I forgot to include this. And in two thousand six, an experiment was carried out. Um. Uh, where they they built a model of the hold with uh, paper cartons representing the barrels. Uh, Using butane gas, he created an explosion that caused a considerable blast and ball of flame, but contrary to expectation, no fire damage within the replica hold. Oh, interesting. Um, So it was just like such a like explosion that they needed to get away from, mm -hmm. but it left no damage. Right, like they could have been right that it was about to Mm -hmm. have an explosion, but it was just such a like fast... That one makes thing. sense because, you know, all these people are very experienced. It doesn't make a lot of sense for these people to mess up that bad. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. To, like, have a total false alarm, like, actually nothing happened and mm-hmm. we just abandoned the ship. You know? Yeah. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard that one, actually. Yeah. Another possible thing with the, rather than the sea spout thing uh, going on with the, the, the pumps um, was that before carrying alcohol, um, Mary Celeste had carried a lot of coal, which has it produces a lot of dust. So that mm-hmm. could have like clogged up all the pipes and the bilges and stuff. And so that also would have made them think that it was taking on a lot more water than it actually was. Yeah. 
See, I like that theory. Um, Hang on, I have to go to the bathroom. Okay. One second. Okay, I'm back. Sorry. <laughs> I have to go to the bathroom. I know. Okay. It's okay. Yeah. Well, so that's that's those are all the main theories about it. Okay. Um, that's. I mean, basically, it's a mystery. They just vanished into thin air. Yeah. This is such a weird story. I like it though. Nobody knows. No. Yeah. Um, So anyway, I guess, uh, so after returning to New York from Genoa, uh, Mary Celeste was an unpopular ship. Yeah. The hearings and (laughs) sensational newspaper stories of her mutiny and murder uh, made few want to be associated with her. Winchester and the other owners sold her at considerable loss in 1874. Uh, For a few years, she returned to trade in the West Indies and the Indian Ocean, regularly losing money. Uh, In February 1879, she called at the island of St. Helena to seek medical treatment for her captain, Edward Tuttle, who died on the island. Uh, This drove home the idea that the ship was cursed. Mm -hmm. He was the third captain to die prematurely. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Mm. Uh, In 1884, under Captain Gilman C. Parker, uh, she was wrecked intentionally on a reef off the coast of Haiti as part of a real real insurance fraud scheme. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, And that's the end of uh, Mary Celeste. Don't people claim to see the Mary Celeste in the sea? Like, they're like, oh, I see the ghost ship of Mary Celeste. Probably. With the the crew that disappeared. (laughs) Yeah, probably people say that. I didn't. I didn't come across that in my thing, but, um, yeah. UFOs abducted them. I'm surprised that's not a more commonly uh, put out theory. Yeah. This was good. Good. It's a good topic. I like this story. I liked the story when I first heard it. I like the story that you just told me. (laughs) All right. You're welcome. More in depth than I know. Cool. Uh, Well, is that it? That's it for me. Any final thoughts for your topic? I don't have any. Um, I don't have any final thoughts of mine either. Uh, Helicopters and boats this week, friends. Yeah. <laughs> Helicopters and boats. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I guess we should just end it then. Huh? I, oh, it's, I it's late. I suppose we should end bed. things. Yeah. Okay. Um. All right. So uh, I've been Harry. I'm still Carly. And this has been... Known Unknowns. Nationalize Amazon. Because it's weird out there. Bye. Bye.